We've been about this work, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, shared through the voices of a white woman and a black man. We bring lived experiences. We have pursued DNI progress for most of our professional lives. We use Crazy and the King to cover news, tips from colleagues, and host incredible guests. Listeners, count on Julie and I to transparently drive the conversation. We thank you for rocking with us. Check it, check it. Julie, kick off the show. Welcome to Crazy and the King. Hey, so listen, I'm starting it differently because you do something that I really never commented on. And I want to comment on it today. So we're going to keep one another honest. Does recording make you nervous? Yes. Very. There it is. You sigh. Like you take this real deep sigh. Like, okay, I'm going to do it. And I'm saying, I noticed that she does that every single week and you do an incredible job. Thank you. Thank you. I, this this podcast has been such a growth experience for me. I mean, if you if you go back and listen to our very first episodes, I am terrified, and I love it now. <laughs> I love it, but it's always still that just that moment of like, you're not going to fuck it up so bad that everyone hates you, Julie. Kind of yeah, moment. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I said, you know what? I'm going to comment on that. Just like in the moment, it was like a real time thought and consideration. So I, I will tell you, here we are at the end of October and it, it's not, it's not just something to say. I really feel like this year has gone by quickly. H- how do you feel? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think I expected very little action. I expected it to be a lot like 2020 where it just felt like we were in and held down and the year felt so long this year feels like it has flown by and it's been at least for us and for disability solutions, a really positive growth year. Um, so I'm, I'm thrilled, uh, but can't believe it's October nonetheless. No. Uh, and in the month of October, some organizations made some really big announcements. Citigroup being one of them, they become the first wall street bank to agree to a racial audit. I really wonder what the conversations were like. I absolutely would love to have been a fly on the wall during those conversations when the phrase was landed upon that we would do a racial audit, not a diversity report, not a, I don't know, just a racial audit. Like that's hitting it head on. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, well, and I, I when you first you popped this story into our show notes, and I'm like, wasn't that like an affirmative action audit? But it's not. It's completely different because really, I think what they're focusing on is how they are spending the money that they committed to spend to help um, the black community, help help decrease the the wealth gap, and putting that front and center. And you and I talk about this all the time, right? People are always making pledges and bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. And Citigroup, I I think to the chagrin of maybe some of their executives based on the article, um, are going full in. So I am excited to see how this comes out. It's it's a lawyer group that's like actually doing the audit. So what actually kind of comes out in the wash that we can see publicly is going to be the big question. 
Yeah, so in just this brief moment, I am Googling the word chagrin. Uh, I did spell it correctly. <laughs> um, I just want to see exactly what it means, the context in which you used it. It says distress or embarrassment at having failed or been humiliated. Interesting. Why did you use that word? You said to well, the chagrin of some of their executives. Yeah. So I like way down deep in the, the article, it talked about that they were pressed to do this by their shareholders, by their investors. And they, I, I don't want to say an activist group, but a big pressure campaign from their investor class came for them to do this. And the executive team kept encouraging the shareholders to vote no, not to move forward with this, that they didn't want, they felt like they had done enough. Now, ultimately, it said that the actually the the proposal in the investors group failed. So it didn't pass that forced them to do this racial audit, but they decided to do it anyway. And I'm not it doesn't say why, um, but it was definitely not something they were they were jamming on at first. Yeah. And this is a learning point for everyone out there listening, that when you are doing something around diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging, since that's the center of our podcast. But really, when you are doing anything, oftentimes you're going to have to go back at it again and again and a couple of more times. Last year, Citibank released that report in September of 2020, closing the racial um uh, wealth gap or the disparities in closing the racial wealth gap. And again, we've talked about it on the report when we had um, Gerard Charlo on a couple of weeks ago, we talked about having more people that are going to contribute to the conversation in education, in healthcare, in pay and in housing because of that September 2020 seminal report from Citibank. So the fact that they are one year later, one year later, following up, and recommitting, doubling down, saying that we're going to do even more for me is a very positive piece. And I liked that they worked through the tension, Julie. They worked through the tension and said, we're going to do this anyway. And personally, I believe every single institution should evaluate um, you know, how they've benefited from race, how they perpetuate the inequities that exist. I think every single institution should do what Citibank is doing. They absolutely get five stars for the week for me. Excellent. Excellent. So more good news. Um, the CEO of Microsoft, uh, Satya Nadella, uh, released its his annual letter to shareholders um, and really doubled down um, to, to build and take responsibility to close the disability divide. And that really kind of goes back to their April commitment of a five-year commitment to spur development for accessible technology, expand opportunity for people with disabilities and the workforce, and to build a more inclusive workplace. And so the reason I bring up this story is not just because it was people with disabilities were mentioned, which I always try to note when we see these shareholder letters, but if you are a Microsoft Teams user, they actually have, or a Microsoft Office user, they have done an incredible amount of work to make creating accessible documents and accessible meetings something that the everyday user, people like you and I, can do and do it pretty rapidly and pretty easily. So for examples, Teams, which we use, it's kind of like our Slack um, for, for our office, Mm-hmm. now has built-in transcription and closed captioning. One click of the button, you turn it on. Um, PowerPoint has 
built-in AI accessibility checks plus post checks that you can run and take care of any things like missing alt tags, missing images tags. And so just again, like we're running out of reasons as corporations and as people to not have accessible content built at the beginning of the process, not at the end of the process, not when someone requests an accommodation. And Microsoft, to be to be completely candid, has a big hand in, in driving that accessibility. And I just think it's awesome. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And again, in order for it to happen on the front end, it really depends on who's sitting in the room. Who are we including? Who are we querying? Who are we thinking about is being left out? How do we in, in, engage and empower them to be a part of the conversations, to be a part of that developing, to be a part of those focus groups, to be a part of those beta test groups? It's always in the beginning. How do we do that? And sometimes, you know, funds, resources can limit that level of participation. But I appreciate what Microsoft has done in this. And I'm looking through the letter and I encourage you all to read it. It's it's lengthy. But he ends the letter talking about earning trust. And then the very last section of that that letter is talking about the culture, being in a growth mindset and currency of every single leader, the currency of every single leader. Think about who you are and how you sit in your organization. What's your currency? What's your cachet? Is it that people trust you? Is it that they lean on you? What's your cachet? What's your currency? So this is really another another great story, and I'm happy that uh, we added it to the list. Um, we might have to add a new segment to the pod. Now, I know we're trying to socialize her voice, which we'll get to later, but we might have to add another segment. We'll, we'll deliberate over the holidays, but. Texas, they've done it again. Like they're just going to have a standing spot in the show. Hey, here's something Texas has done this week to actively attack its own citizenry. Fantastic job, guys. And, uh, and this time, have... once again, I'm sorry, once again, transgender. Yep. So Texas has now joined nine other states specifically targeting transgender student athletes uh, with the White House calling that legislation hateful and anti-transgender and anti-LGBTQ groups celebrating a victory in proactive and overt discrimination uh, as a win. And then to just kind of top I, I, it off. I mean, I don't I don't hold off. You, you don't even need to top it off. It's like, it's like, why is it so critically important for you to spend time legislating ways to keep people away from participating, whether it be sports or voting? Why is it so incredibly important for you to act as if you care in this way, yet you you don't care in so many of the other ways. Like I, I just, I find it hard to wrap my mind around the thought process that these individuals are going through. Uh, and again, I've, I've, we've talked about transgender athletes. We've talked about it at various stages, it being different in elementary, middle, junior, high school versus 
professional competition level. We've talked about it all the way up and down the spectrum. And here they are with nine other states. I didn't even click on the link. I, I don't. Do you know the other nine, eight states or so? Do you know the other ones? Um, so I know West Virginia, Mississippi, Alabama, um, I think Indiana. So a lot. I mean, just, you know, yeah. the South and the Midwest representing as usual. It, and, it's just ridiculous. I mean, it is. It is. And then, you know, earlier this month, even the governor removed a state like a government page that provided um, resources for LGBTQ youth that had suicide prevention, et cetera, on it because his political competitor said that that proved that the governor was supporting an LGBTQ lifestyle. So not only are we going to actively attack, now we're going to also take away resources for kids who, who are some of the most vulnerable in our communities. And I mean, for, for fuck's sakes, Texas doesn't have a, a power grid that works, right? But yet the the legislature is just assembly line, or it, yeah, manufacturing assembly lining. That's what I'm looking for. I think these bills that are discriminatory, that limit access, that will gerrymander again their ability to have a minority that controls the majority. And I just think these stories keep coming. So maybe maybe we get a a, a Texas uh, <laughs> Texas segment of the show. Uh, Texas segment on the show. So listen, those are our quick takes for the week. I promise we'll be right back after this quick ad break because we're going to end the month talking about national disability employee or employment awareness. All right. So stay with us. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube. Cool. So um, as we end the month, uh, did the organization, I mean, I know it's kind of a silly question. What'd you all do to celebrate in Dean? Oh my gosh, we've had our best, our best, best in Dean ever. Um, We have done some podcasts um, that are, that are coming out. We recorded with some really great speakers, uh, Jonathan Kaufman from Forbes being one of them. We have had tons of speaking events. We've done probably close to 50 trainings um, this month, and we've celebrated in, uh, in social media. So it's been a really, really positive month for our team, and we are coming out like super energized going into the end of the year. Speaking of which, I'm looking at the end of the month. I actually need to make sure I remember to fast. Did I tell you? Uh, so the thing that I did last year coming into 2021, I said that the last two days of the month, I would only drink water. Did, did I share that with you? Yeah, you did. Because I told you, yeah. you're, like, you're, you're getting all svelte on me. Yeah. So I, I got to remember because 
three or four of the months, I've forgotten the, the <laughs> last two days kind of ran up on me real quick. And I'm sitting there, you know, holding a cognac and I'm like, uh, you're not supposed to have this right now. So I got to remember to do that this weekend. But but I'm happy that, you know, organizations across the globe have spent a bit more time uh, doing some things, not just providing lip service, not just simply placing uh, messaging on social media actually doing some things like you suggested, participating in podcasts, being um, guests or bringing in speakers in their organizations. I love the fact that more uh, organizations are doing something. And we found in create a great story. I, I feel like you've mentioned Andrew Polrang before. Did we talk about him? If you recall, did we talk about him when I had that snafu with the Washington Post retweet? Uh, when the disability community kind of gave me the business? Um, possibly. I always try to mention him when I'm talking about influencers to follow on Twitter um, for, okay. for people with disabilities. He definitely is one of my favorites. He started the uh, Crypt the Vote hashtag that's been really instrumental in um, activating voters with disabilities. He does a lot of really great stuff. Yeah, so his name is Ad Andrew Polrang. That's P-U-L-R-A-N-G. And before we get into the story that he wrote, 10 Things Everyone Should Know About People with Disabilities and Employment, before we get into that, let's hear a quick message from Senator Tammy Duckworth. It's everything from prejudice that they're going to be more expensive to employ or that you're going to have to do something with your workplace or accommodate somebody with disabilities and that's going to cost too much money. Um, that's really, you know, those, those are really false arguments. In fact, studies show that when a, per, a disabled person lands a job, they become very loyal and they, they stay in those jobs for far longer than anybody else. There's far less turnover with persons with disabilities once they're able to land a job. Um, and they make really good, productive employees once they can get employment. But people with disabilities uh, suffer very, very high unemployment, unemployment rates, well over 50%. All right, cool. So set this up for us, Julie, because I think it's important um, I think it's important that people have an idea of context around the the, uh, the 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 ten items that he delineates in the article. But I don't want folks to just kind of read the article and walk away. I really want them to hear uh, a bit of colorful, layered context because you are in the community. You work and help organizations to do a better job of this. And I got to tell you. And, and I've said this before, some of the best learning that I've done over the last 10, 12 years of doing DNI consulting has been with you and been around the disability community. So this article, 10 Things Everyone Should Know About People with Disabilities and Employment, it caught your eye and tell me why. Yeah, I mean, it caught my eye because it, it's just... It voices some of the frustrations that I and my team always have around National Disability Employment Awareness Month. And we always have to kind of go back and say to each other, this is what we do every day. We are the experts in the room. It's still brand new to so many people. 
and, and I think that's where Andrew kind of took this article, right? It's like, hey, it's hard for me to come up with something new to say. So let's go back to some of the basics that companies and people should know about disability and employment. Do you see my hands up in the air? You to church? <laughs> Listen <laughs> yes. to me when I tell you, you, I am, I literally was on a call with AG and you know who AG is. I literally was mm -hmm. on a call with AG on uh, Friday of last week. And I said, I am strongly considering, I'm saying it out loud. I'm strongly considering next year being my last year of doing keynote presentations because I feel like I've been saying the same thing and people are just beginning to catch up to what I said in 2014 and 2015 around diversity and inclusion. I swear you were taking me to church. Go ahead. Yes. And, and we feel the same way, right? We, but we, we don't get out of it that easy. We have to keep saying the message because it is penetrating. We are seeing change just more slowly than we would like. Right. And so, yeah. you know, he really makes a, a good point in terms of like, you know, when we're talking about, and I've struggled with this too, is when I first started presenting about my community, I saw the things that I saw my own biases, right? I would go into every conversation. Everything had to be data. Everything had to be business. Everything had to be uh, outcomes driven. And that helped us to build a successful model. It helped us to lay the groundwork for, you know, what we do at Disability Solutions today. But what it also did was reinforce that people with disabilities have to come to your work and make you feel good. They have to be your superheroes. They have to stay longer. They have to do better. Instead of just saying, hey, these are fucking humans, hire humans, be more human. And I was reinforcing some ableistic and exploitative stereotypes around people with disabilities. And what we've seen, right, is that we still have to share best practices. We still have to share outcomes because data does matter. Impact matters. That's why I do what, what I do. But we have to couch it in fully accepting, realizing, and reinforcing with our audiences that people with disabilities are fully human who have desires, dreams, and capabilities just like everyone else, but are not perfect are not here to be your cheerleader, are not here to fix your morale problem, all of those things. I could go on and on, as you can tell. And that's really how Andrew sets up the article. But then he does go in and say, here are some things that we think that you should know. And just gives a really quick explanation that I think is, is good and reinforces what we know is important and also what newbies don't know yet, because we've got a whole new generation of people entering the workforce. Absolutely. Uh, Wendy Lou writes on Twitter. She says, uh, please don't celebrate National Disability Employ em Employment Awareness Month unless your company is willing to do the actual work of hiring, supporting and retaining workers with disabilities. We are more than a cute banner. Now, she did that tweet 
on what looks like October 13th. So it's a bit dated, but trust me, she's got a bit more smoke on her, her feed. She's at Wendy Lou writes and uh, she's got a pinned tweet, a pinned tweet from May 29th of 2018. Disability people, disabled people are not a burden. And she just repeats it. Disabled people are not a burden. If you are disabled, you are not a burden. You're a human being who deserves respect, compassion, independence, a platform, and equal rights. And I think that's what you're getting to in this article and what Andrew is getting to in this article. Yeah, we understand We understand that, that businesses are there for a reason, mm-hmm. that people need to be productive as employees in the business. I think back to um, a scenario that I was uh, involved in. Uh, This must have been around 2012, 2013. And there was a guy who would, um, I don't know what his uh, disability was, but he worked for like uh, an organization here in the city called Chimes. And he would just walk by all the time. And I said, you know what? I'm going to have him come in and I want him to feel better. I want him to feel productive. So I said, why don't you help me around the office? So I helped, had him help me move some papers and tidy up the office. Wasn't an official employee, but move some papers around, tidy up the office. Um, he would take out the trash and it really wasn't no trash trash. It's like a couple of sticky notes and you know a couple of spreadsheets. But the the, the glow on his face and, and what started, Jay, it started because he would knock on the door and try to sell CDs. And you got to understand, in 2012, he's trying to sell me a CD of Luther Vandross. Actually, it wasn't CDs. It was cassette tapes. Wasn't even oh. CDs. He was trying to sell cassette tapes in 2012. And I said, something is not right. And so it, I don't want to get sidetracked, but I use that example as... <laughs> Just how happy he was to be productive. He would come by. We were in a strip mall setting and I would give him $20 every time he would do. And literally he was there for like 10 minutes. Happy. I mean, would leave skipping. And I think what the article is suggesting is treat him right. Yeah. And, and, you know, to your point, work is so much of the American experience, unlike a lot of other countries, we are defined by our productivity, right? What we do. So I'm going to ask you, Torn, what do you do? You don't say, I go skiing, I hang out with the kings, I do this, I do that. You say, this is my job. And People with disabilities want that same satisfaction, that same joy out of their productivity. And it doesn't have to be the same level of productivity that you have or that I have or someone else has. And, you know, just like a couple of quick things. And I fully, fully encourage our listeners to read this entire article, especially if disability and employment is not your your comfort zone yet. Um, A couple that stood out to me for sure is that even though we have really, really important groundbreaking foundational revenue or foundational revenue, foundational legislation like the Americans with Disabilities Act, right? That is really just a framework for equal opportunity. It's 
it's not easy to enforce. It's not regularly enforced unless we get to the point where we've got an EEO claim or an ADA, you know, discrimination lawsuit. And those take years to process through. They don't really cause the the individual company that much pain. Um, and so the ADA is not the end all be all, right? It's just the basics. It's like the bare minimum. And too often it still gets exempted out. For example, hospitals um, under, I believe, the ACA don't have to have um, ADA access for everyone to still be able to use Medicaid and Medicare funds. That is an exemption that I believe shouldn't exist. I understand why it does, but I still, again, totally different thing, different different story. Um, there's an interesting piece about the two the differences between SSI and SSDI. Um, yep, saw that. And and how there are fantastic programs all over the country. I actually ran one in the state of Indiana that help people who are an SSDI transition into work, and if they aren't able to continue working, they can move back into SSDI very quickly. I think the most, yes. I, I wanted to jump in and actually you, you preempted what I was going to say. So now I actually need clarity or, or you're, okay. you're, you're challenging what I was about to say, because I was going to say, I have a family member who is in that experience, you know, been diagnosed, um, receiving SSI, it took forever for us to get through the hoops necessary for them to be able to receive it. But mm -hmm. now that they're working, you know, they can only make a certain amount of money. And then once they surpass that, they are taken off of SSI. And my understanding was that we would have to start that process all over again. But you just said that we could quickly jump back to it. So correct so me. There's a difference. Uh, SSI okay. is hard. Right. And that's for people who maybe don't have work experience, who haven't like paid into social security disability. That one is tough. And the number is really low. And it like all of these programs, the other thing to understand about them is that they are designed to keep people in poverty. Right. If if I start to rise up out of that, but still need Medicare or Medicaid to make sure that I can work. If I start my own business, if I start to save some money, I'm penalized by either being kicked off the program or having a reduction in benefits. Now, SSDI, on the other hand, has a program called the Ticket to Work, which helps with like expedited reinstatement of benefits. It helps um, people make the transition. And in a lot of states, one of the most critical things to actually people with more significant disabilities being able to return to work is access, being able to keep Medicaid. And those types of programs will allow them to keep Medicaid so that they can still make sure that they have the ability to work and stay insured. And so there are fantastic programs. If you go to TicketToWork.org, you can find really talented individuals. We actually just hired a person through our ticket program um, to do data analysis um, for the Disability Solutions team, and he is killing it. And that's just, and I bring it up specifically to say that there is a difference. It's important to understand. Um, as a caregiver, but it's also important to understand of it's another great place to find talent. So one quick thing that I want to do before we end this segment, I got to get in this piece around sub employment. Uh, no, I'm sorry, sub minimum wage. 
So before we do that, let's listen to a clip. Uh, it's about a minute long, and then I'd love for you to come back and educate me along with the audience on sub minimum wage because I had never heard of that before. Employers that can pay below $7.25 an hour are typically agencies that work directly with people with disabilities to help them find jobs. What's called a sheltered workshop. Here the disabled get virtually guaranteed employment, but they are not guaranteed minimum wage. These job programs are designed to develop skills, create social groups, and instill a sense of value for their clients. If 14C certificates cannot be applied for, some are worried about the unintended consequences. They say people with profound disabilities may lose a chance to be employed. If subminimum wage goes away, the biggest impact will be on our folks who have severe disabilities. The handicapped, the disabled worker is not going to be given an employment opportunity. Rory Rowland says his sons tried other jobs, but sheltered workshops provide gainful employment and purpose for his son. If we forced him to go out and try to find a minimum wage job, he would be unemployed. Yeah, you see? That's what makes this so complicated. I love Trevor Noah. I'll just go ahead and say that right now. Um, so subminimum wage it actually was in the news again this week. So it's a really timely and the subminimum wage is really what was designed 80 plus years ago. Um, to help people with very, very significant disabilities have some sort of work experience. And it is sort of the ultimate social program that should have been gone away with dozens of years ago. And in fact, I can tell you that my agency, because I work for a big nonprofit, they stopped using subminimum wage contracts for people that, that we serve probably about 15 years ago. And so there's still about 4 billion in contracts from the US government every year that go to a certain set of providers that basically contract out some minimum wage jobs. And what does that mean? That means maybe I'm the person who's putting the fork and the knife and the spoon and the napkin in the pack. I'm doing like piecework and I'm getting paid a penny or two pennies based on that output. And so we've really been as a community moving away from this model for a long time. But this week, the federal government came out and said, hey, every Ability One contract, which are those sub-minimum wage contracts, now has to bring anyone who's working on them up to a minimum of the federal minimum wage or what's legal in their state. And so that has been happening again for decades. Really forward-thinking nonprofits have been moving away from it. Some are legacying out of it. So as people age out of the program, they're not having new people come in. But it is probably one of the most stereotyping and exploitative programs that are aimed around people with disabilities that were, I'm sure, built with good intentions, but have outlived their usefulness. Yeah, no, it sounds that way. Uh, again, it was, it was, I don't want to use the word shocking, but it was a revelation for me because I had never heard of it before. Yeah. Uh, it's a great article. Uh, I'm really, really happy that you found it. 
and that we're able to share it as our last pod of the month of October. How do we close out this segment? Because I'm sure you have something you at least want us to kind of take away or consider. Yeah. So I think the the quote I'm going to use this week is from the article from Andrew. And it's, uh, instead of touting employment as the way for disabled people to find a better life, maybe we should try making life for disabled people better. So more of us are secure enough per- secure enough to pursue employment from a position of strength. From a position of strength. And that brings us to her voice uh, segment where we are amplifying women that are making moves. Uh, I want to just run through these three individuals really quickly. Monica Ramirez, founder and president of Justice for Migrant Women. Uh, she recently co-hosted the National Latina Equal Pay Day. Latina Equal Pay Day was on October 21st. I don't know if you all knew that, but it was on October 21st. I also want to highlight uh, White House Gender Policy Council co-chair Jen Klein, who said last week, this marks for ourselves and for the world that this is going to be a priority in the years to come referring to the new White House National Strategy on Gender Equity and Equality. I love that they are doing that. And then last but not least, I want to highlight C.C. Ching. You can find her on Twitter at C.C. Ching, C-H-E-N-G. She is the founder and CEO of Share Well Now. So she talks about finding herself in a relationship that she now calls emotionally abusive. And the thing that helped her to, to recover more than therapy, she says, was the support circle of her peers. I absolutely, I absolutely appreciate having peers that I can lean on, folks that can help me refuel my tank that can re-energize, reinvigorate me when I feel like the work has become downtrodden and arduous. I feel like having a group of peers, people like Julie and so many of you that are out there listening to our pod, when you ping me with messages via text or via email, you might drop a note on social media. I love having a group of peers. You can find CC Ching uh, on Twitter at ShareWellNow. So I don't have any quick mentions or name drop, but I think you do. Yeah, just a quick name drop to the Breathe Equality team, the Black ERG at my parent company, Ability Beyond, um, and specifically to their leader and who I call my partner in crime, Shailene Brighton Ortiz. Got to spend some great time with that team last week, go to dinner, celebrate uh, over almost a year and a half of uh, Breathe Equality at Ability Beyond. So kudos to my team. Beautiful thing. I close, we close. We close reminding each and every one of you to share the pod with your digital tribe. Make sure you tag us on social media like hashtag C-A-T-K or hashtag crazy and the king. Don't be shy, like tag us. Let us know that you are out there listening. Let us know that you're sharing the pod. Find something inside of each episode that inspires you, that informs you that motivates you to take action. Do something different. Don't just listen, like be actionable about the 30 or 40 minutes that you spend with Julie and I. And we'll be back next week. For now, Jay and I are ghosts. See ya.
Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary, yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.